welcome to the Smokies and Wine podcast with JB and Jamie with the best guests, wine and chat. You know it makes sense. Sponsored by Clackenview Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow. Welcome to the Smokies and Wine podcast. Today we are drinking the Ramirez de la Pesquina Rioja Crianza. It's a 2016 bottle that we've been supplied by our friends at Wine and Something. So check them out and don't forget to put in the discount code SMOKIES10 for your 10% off. We are delighted to have a legend of the boxing world here, Christy Martin, the coal miner's daughter. How are you? I'm great, you know, and and happy to be with you guys. We we had to um, make a few adjustments to get here, but, uh, you know, happy to finally be able to connect. All right, good to have you here. Uh, delighted to be sharing the story with everyone over in the UK as well. And what a story it is. Easiest place to start, like anything, is, is at the beginning. You you grew up in a little small, sort of, we, we live in a small town over here, but you live in an even, lived in an even smaller town that, than we did. There was only about 500 people or so, wasn't there? Right. I, and I think when I explain to people that I'm from a really small town, I don't know that they can they can grasp it mentally because – even if, like you guys say, you're from a small town, um, small town to you is still grocery stores and gas stations and, and, and you know, many streets. There's one street that goes through my little town and uh, we have, you know, no traffic lights, no stop signs. It's, it's like one mile, one mile. That's it. So, Wildly a one-horse town, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very small. So um, to, to, you know, get out of there and uh, do the most awesome things that I, I've got to see so much of the world through boxing. It, uh, it was a true blessing. And how did it all start then? You, you mentioned getting into boxing without going into, you know, what you did at school and things like that. How did the whole boxing career start then? Just talk us through that part. Yeah, the whole boxing thing. Um, we had this tough man. I don't know if you guys have that over there, but we have, we had tough man, right? And we, so, and remember I'm from a very small town in Southern West Virginia, a lot of coal miners, a lot lot of bar fights. Uh, So we have a lot of guys that think they're tough guys. So the tough man contest will come around every year and, and, and so many guys would go join it and, and fight each other and, and bring in lots of people. I mean, this thing would sell out every time. I mean, like 5,000 people, but the building was full. It was sold out. So I would keep after the the promoter. Um, when are you going to let women do this? And why did I think that? I mean, I even today, I'm like, why did I think that I had never seen a woman box before? So why did I think that we should have a women's version of this tough man contest? Did you fight brothers or something? Or No, no, I... Um, no, I, I I had one younger brother uh, who, who recent, recently passed, but no, I mean we didn't fight. We um, there are four years between us, so there's kind of enough age difference that I was doing my thing, he was doing his thing. I had all boy cousins, but we played sports. We didn't fight. I don't know where the uh, aggression came from or where I thought. I, I think because people said I couldn't do it or I shouldn't do it, that made me want to do it. Yeah. I have uh, I have a lot of that. I'm going to show you attitude. And um, that's just what happened. You know, I, I stayed for the promoter and finally uh, he, he decided to have the, the women's version or a bit women's division, I should say, in the Tough Man contest and a new career was born. You know, I certainly didn't grow up thinking I want to be a professional fighter and never, even after having seven or eight pro fights did I think it was a serious thing. I was, I was always going to just come back and teach school, my degrees in education. So I thought I'll just maybe coach basketball or something and teach school, but, you know, went on this crazy ride. When did it all click then? When did it all, did you think I can do something here? You know, probably not until actually signing with Don King, which was in um, late 1993. Uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't take it for, for real. Even though I was like, boxing was what I was doing. I, I just didn't see, you know, I, there was no one that came before me that I could say, I want to be just like that person. Or if that person can do it, I can do it. So really there wasn't, there wasn't that role model for me to look at. So I, I guess I just kept it. I kept hanging in there, you know, get a little better each and every time. And, 
and my skills improved. And then finally, when I got to fight on the Don King shows, and then then obviously everything turned around, and and it was it was serious at that point. So were you undefeated up to this point? You know, what I mean, you you just beaten everybody, or no, no, no. My first pro fight was my first lesson in boxing. I had never been in a boxing gym before, but I played basketball in college, so it was, I was in good condition. Uh, I had a call from a promoter in Bristol, Tennessee, that asked me would I come down and fight his girl because he knew I had done these tough men contests. And I thought, why not? It'll be a great story. I'll tell everybody, you know, look what I did one time, you know. I went down and fought his girl, beat the crap out of her for four <laughs> rounds, knocked her down, and still got a draw. And I was like, wow, you know, that, that, that was my first lesson of boxing. And then, then I also, it didn't really give a good ending to the story. So when they asked me if I would have a rematch with her, uh, the next month, the following month, I said, yes, I, of course I'll have a rematch with her because, you know, I didn't really win. I didn't lose. It's not a good story. Let me, let me try it one more time. And this time I, I knocked her out cold. They could have counted to 15 and she wasn't getting up. You still got a draw then, yeah? The, 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 yeah, the draw, the first draw. No, no, no. The second time they, they, yeah, they counter out. It was done. So then I became that promoter's girl. And, and that's how my boxing career really, really started. And, and is it true you hadn't even been, for your first sort of seven or eight fights, you hadn't even been in a boxing gym for your first sort of seven pro fights. Is that right? Right. I had never been in a boxing gym. I had, I, you know, again, from a small town in West Virginia and, and boxing is just not that popular. So there was there was no boxing gym, as far as I knew. I was a semi-fan. So as I started to have these pro fights, I did buy a heavy bag and put in my apartment at college uh, and, and try to watch fighters on TV and then mimic what they were doing. I would try to do that on the heavy bag. But it's very funny because one of my favorite fighters is so much the opposite of who... I am as a person and as a fighter, but my one of my favorite fighters to watch was Hector Camacho. A lot of that was just because I thought it was cute. And he was like <laughs> an arrogant ass, you know, it was fun to watch. But of course I felt nothing like that. And he's a Southpaw. But but yeah, I would watch the fights and then try to go do the same thing on the heavy bag. Crazy stuff. And that was your, that was the main part of your training regime then, just heavy bagging in a room. I, I put basketball, so I was, you know, I was running all the time. I thought I, I thought that since I was in basketball shape, surely I was in boxing shape, but that's not the case. You know, you can be in great basketball shape, but you, that does not translate over to being in boxing shape. I had my gym in Orlando, Florida, later, many years later, uh, I would have football players come over from University of Central Florida that, of course, they're football players. They're in great shape, big muscles. You know, they couldn't last one round on the heavy bag. You know, it just shows each each sport is so specific to to the conditioning you know the the different way that you condition your muscles or your, your mind too to get ready so where did you um first learn your ring craft then because at the start it must have just been all guns blazing yeah i it, it was definitely um i think it was guns blazing almost my entire career you know <laughs> I, I, I try not to take any steps back i i wanted to knock everybody out Every punch I threw, I tried to throw with bad intentions, whether it be a jab, a right hand, a hook, whatever. I, every every punch was bad intentions. So, yeah, I'm not sure that ever ever changed. And you were about sort of, I don't know, 21, 22 when you would have first got introduced to gym. Would that be right at the, your first sort of proper gym? Yes, I, I just I graduated from college, so I was probably about 20, 21, 21 years old. Yeah. And uh, went to my first boxing gym in Bristol, Tennessee, and uh, that's that's where I met Jim Martin, who um, you know would later become my my uh, was my trainer, my husband, and my abuser, and then later attempted to murder me. We'll obviously come on to that because it's unbelievable almost. But what were your initial thoughts then? Because you, you would have been a young woman, twenty two. Jim would have been forty five, forty six, something like that. Was there an initial attraction or what, what did you think of Jim at the, at the time, just walking into the, the boxing gym to see your new trainer? Yeah, the, the, first, the first day I walked into the boxing gym, uh, it was clear that he didn't want a female fighter in his gym. And um, Jim was the kind of guy that 
he was most chauvinist. And if he didn't put pig behind it, he was insulted. So, <laughs> and like he, he bragged about that. So, you know, I, um, I, after the first day in the gym, I actually didn't want to go back, but, uh, had gone, I had take, my mother had gone with me cause I had to drive down about three hours from West Virginia and I, you know, just wanted somebody to go with me. So she took the ride with me. And and I told her, I said, you know, this guy doesn't want to train me. He's, you know, he's 100% against women boxing. He doesn't want a woman in his gym. And my mom was like, no, stay in there, give it a try. And, and I thought, you know, a lot of it was, I just had graduated from college. I'm going to take three to six months and just really live it up. Because I know for the rest of my life, I'm going to have, you know, it's going to be nine to five. You got to, you know, be a school teacher, coach some basketball or something. And, and that's what you're going to do every day for the rest of your life. So I thought I'm going to take this time and, um, and have some fun. But why, why has Jim, was he highly respected in that area or why did you end up there? He actually had been hired by the promoter to train the, the promoter's son. So Jim was actually new to Bristol, Tennessee as well. Uh, he was he was from uh, Lafayette, Indiana, which was a, a few hours away, maybe like uh, five or six hours away, probably from Bristol, Tennessee. So he had just moved down to Bristol, and then and then I moved to Bristol. So we were both we were you know really new to the area. Neither of us knew any people uh, there. So part of that is, um, I, I guess, we filled up time for for each other. You know. We, what do you want to do after you get? What do you, what are you going to do after you work out? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know anybody. I don't know any place around here. Maybe I'll just go get something to eat. Well, I'll go, I'll come along with you. And then it was just too many of those. I'll come along with yous. And 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 I and I was a young young person and and a kid really and believed a lot of the hype and the bullshit that he said that was intriguing. And the, you know, he had great stories. As as time went on, I found out were were just that stories. <laughs> But, you know, I guess we live and learn and, you know, uh, make mistakes. Would you have said that the, the way that he manipulated you certainly later on, would you have said that started at such an early stage as, as that? or No, because, you know, when you're young, you don't, you, unfortunately, getting old, you, you have the knowledge that you need when you're young, right? Through life experiences, through uh, just, just life experiences, you know, different things that you, you experience as you go through. And, and I didn't have that. And especially I'm from a young town. I mean, a small town, I'm young, I'm naive to the world really. And, um, I just fell for, for his, his bullshit. So in a way he took advantage of that and your naivety. Yeah. I, I feel so. Yes. And he, even early in the relationship, this is how, this is how mentally, he was able to control me. He, he would tell me that um, even before I married him, that he would kill me if ever I left. At first, you know, at 22 years old, 21 years old, 22, 23, probably even to 25, 26, I, I kind of laughed it off. But then as time went on and as he told more people, I mean, he didn't really hide that this was the plan. Somewhere along the line, it. I knew this is the way it was going to end. He was going to kill me. So he's, he's telling people that he would do this to you? Yes. Like jokingly or serious or? I, I, I think that um, I, to me, he said it more, I mean, he said it seriously. Like wow. they would ask him, what did you just say? And he would say it again even, you know, and, and um, but I think, I mean, how many people do we know that's, that you say crazy stuff, you know, yeah. oh, I'm to shoot that person or, you know, but you really don't believe it, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, you know, those people didn't really think that. Of, of course, now afterwards, they've come back to me and say, I'm so sorry, but. All that aside, what was he actually like as a boxing trainer then? Because, you know, you were flying through, what did you have, about 19 wins in a row or something like that? So what was he like as a trainer? As a trainer, um, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. And he was, uh, it was a very good, I think it was a very solid amateur fundamental trainer. Okay. You know, I think he gave me really good fundamentals. 
but to make, I could have been so much better. And at points, different points in my career, I would have conversations with him about hiring somebody else, you know, even if he, I mean, you know, he can still be the voice, but let's get another opinion. Because I think a couple things. Number one, I, I had outgrown him. Number two, a, a fighter or an athlete of any kind, you get a little bit, uh, you hear the same voice over and over, you stop paying as much attention to that same voice. So sometimes I think a, a little change up is, is good for most athletes, but he wanted no part of it because he had to be in control of every move that I made, boxing wise or personal wise. And what kind of sparring did you get? Because there wouldn't have been a lot of women down down your way boxing, so you must have had to mostly spar guys, did you? Or oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I most of the time always sparred guys. I had I had a little guy that was with me for almost my entire career, Jimmy Maloney. He was a pro- professional fighter. I actually had some pretty good wins. He he lost. I mean, he had an upside down record, but he he did knock out a couple guys. Ivan Ladone was one, and at that time that they were really trying to build him up and. And little Jimmy comes in and knocks him out, which was really funny because they had teased him. Ladone's camp had teased him because they said, oh, you're just a, a sparring partner for a girl. So when Jimmy knocked him out, you know, it was a little bit of sweet payback for that, for that comment. Um, but, yeah, he was a tough kid. He a tough guy. He sparred with me. And then just random, just random other guys come in and out of the, the gym that I would spar with. Did you not get to spar with James Tony at one point? I did spar with James Tony at one point. Um, that was way back. That was actually before I signed with Don King, and that was when James was James. You know, I mean, mean and not that you know, way before he gained all the weight, and he was like, I think, I mean, I think it was even before he fought Roy Jones. He was just mean. James was just mean, and and I had watched him spar with the guy Booker Ward was the guy. And um, uh, the bell rang. Booker's turning, turning and walking back to his corner. And James just walks over and jacks him right in the back of the head. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then they're like, after the round, is it Chrissy jumping there with James a couple rounds? I'm like, hell no. I had no interest. You know, no interest in that. But he, he worked with me. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And Don King, you mentioned Don King earlier on. He came on the scene. Was that after you got the world title for the first time, was it? No, um, no, Don King was, I, I signed with King in late 93, and then we just went on a, um, a good roll together for, for a long time. From 94 was my first fight with him until uh, my last fight was in late 01. So we did a pretty good uh, amount of time together. I, I think together we, we, we definitely changed the outlook and the perception of women's boxing. I mean, I'll go as far as to say I think you were a, a pioneer for sort of paving the way for a lot of other big women to, you know, the purses that they're fighting now for and things like that. You you were the the one that started the ball rolling for me on that. I, I think I was in the right place at the right time uh, and ready to take advantage. You know, King gave me a wonderful uh, opportunity and, and I was ready to take advantage of it because – you know, had he given me the opportunity, but I, I wasn't in shape, I wasn't ready, I didn't put on good fights, then then I don't think women's boxing would have had the shot in the arm that it did or it does now. And I, and I appreciate that you, you um, noticed that, that we kind of changed the sport um, because some of these women that are fighting today, they forget about the ones that came before them. Like even in the 90s when I was fighting, I realized that the ones before me, Jackie Tonawanda, um, you know, all the way back to Barbara Budrick, back you know, in in the, in the forever ago, and there's always been somebody that come. They, they they knock down the wall just a little bit, knock down a wall a little bit, and then you know, finally, I was able to really go through it. Sure. But I I recognize it wasn't about me. What did What did you actually think of Don King? Because he's he's not got a great reputation. Some sometimes was he good for you, and then did you ignore some of the stuff he did or? He was um, he was great for me. I um, actually just January this January passing. I I, I went down and, and did a show for him. I, I I ran the whole show was the whole boxing coordinator for him. You know, King gave me an opportunity that no other promoter would have given, not just me but any female fighter. He paid me every dime that he said on the contract he was going to pay me. 
Uh, I, I can't I can't say anything bad about it. To me, he's the greatest promoter of all times. He just when everything started to transform over to or transfer over to social media, like that's not him because he's the guy that needs to be out there with the people. He wants to be able to touch the people. He wants the people to touch him. You know, he 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 wants that contact and. So I don't think he, you know, uh, he hasn't been able to trend, you know, figure out how to make the social media work for him. And he doesn't have any fighters right now. Yeah, because he was the showbiz, wasn't he? He was a, he was a big guy, wasn't he? Every fight he did um, was an event. You know, it wasn't just, I'm going to go watch some fights tonight. No, I'm going to this event. It was always big. It was always bigger than life and blown up. And yeah, it's just... It's too bad. You know, too bad that he couldn't or hasn't been able to um, to move along. And and like, but he he has the heavyweight champion right now. One of them, Trevor Bryant, the WBA heavyweight champion. So we'll see. You know, who knows? Looking at some of these events that he put on, being from such a small town, to then getting signed by Don King and being thrust into the bright lights of Vegas, MGM Grand. You know, for your first fight with him. What, what was that like from your point of view? Because that must have been night and day to what you were used to. I, there's there's not even really words to describe it because I, I just remember thinking, sitting across the table from him the day I was signing the contract, I'm like, I am truly a coal miner's daughter, small town. You know, it's kind of like, how the hell did I get here? You know, we were sitting across the, a table from Don King, who's, you know, Don King's a big dude. And then his, the, uh, the, aura about him is even bigger right so you're like wow uh julio cesar chavez was in the building that day uh tito trinidad i mean all these great champions were were in the building in the, in his office so uh and fighting vegas was, was just you know it's stuff you can't believe and then and you know i'm still i was so i'm still old enough that the garden madison square garden like holds a special place for me, for the fights, even though the younger generation, they see Las Vegas, but I still had that, wow, yeah. fight in the garden. And so when I got the fight in the garden um, a couple of times, that, that was, you know, that stuff's unbelievable to me. There's more people that come to the fight than not just in my, uh, in my little town, but probably like in like half the state, West Virginia, you know, half the state is only 30,000 people. So, yeah. Pretty exciting. See, when you're walking in the ring that first time at, in the MGM to fight Susie, um, it, what, what were your legs like and things? You must have had the butterflies going and all the rest of it for Susie Melton. It's just like, first of all, um, Susie Melton had, she was from North Carolina and, you know, so we're both from the East Coast area and people had told me you better stay away from her. She's like really, you know, strong and tough and, be, be, be careful with her. So here we are. First fight with Don King. They bring the girl in. It's supposedly already, they're telling me that she's better than me. So I was nervous about that. But then, you know, you're at the MGM Grand and that was actually the first fight, the first boxing event. That was the first event that opened up the MGM Grand. So, you know, on top of all these things, even that was, that was even more excitement. Yeah, it was nerve wracking. But the cool thing was by the time that you know, one of the later fights at the MGM Grand, I had got to know all the um, the security guards and, you know, the people that are there because King had me fighting at the MGM Grand like, on a regular basis. And, you know, it became home. And it just it became a lot easier and it was I was much more comfortable. When was the... Because Mike Tyson was involved with Don King, wasn't he? So when was the first time you... You were in and around him, and was he as scary live as he is on TV? Oh, Mike Tyson was always really cool with me. The first time that that I met him, um, I fought on the undercard when he fought Buster Mathis Jr. in Philadelphia, and that was the first time I met him. And it, uh, it was it was really cool because I was sitting in the lobby in the hotel, and Tyson walks in with his whole entourage, you know, all these people around him, and. Um, in some way we, we caught eyes and, and he just started walking over toward me. And, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, my heart's beating so fast. Like, what do I say to him? You know? And, and uh, he just came over, shook my hand and he had watched some, some tapes. I had sent, we had a common, a mutual friend in common. And, um, I had sent some, um, VHS tapes at the time. 
and uh, he watched them. So we talked about the the, the, ta- the tapes for a minute, and then you know he was on his way. But he was always really nice to me, always good, always very supportive of me being on his shows. And um, yeah, thanks to him, you know, women's boxing got a great great boost because everybody tuned in to see Tyson. But I always said I was the appetizer. Speak, speaking of appetizers, then, the, the, the fight that probably propelled you into the big time and led to you being on Sports Illustrated magazine, the, the Deirdre Gogarty fight. The Gogarty fight, you know, uh, Deirdre Gogarty is a tough as nails and a great person. She's probably, she's one of the very few that I, I remain friendly with of my opponents. I'm not one of those that look, you know, I don't need to be your friend. I'm not here to be your friend. Um but Gogarty, she, you know, fought like hell. And um, I, w- I was really too big for her. But it was a great opportunity for both of us. And uh, I think we made we made the most of it. And a bit of blood always looks good for the cameras, eh? Well, I, I you know, I, I laugh and say that was the most profitable bloody nose in boxing history. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, the blood got everybody's attention. And people thought if, you know, I started bleeding like that, then for sure I'm going to quit. And to you know, kept fighting, so it was good. It was a nice contrast with the pink trunks. <laughs> See, at that stage where you've got the, the highs of that, you know, in your boxing life, what was your personal life like at that stage? Had things taken a turn yet, or not quite? My my personal life was always hell, and um, the the thing about it this is the craziest thing. Like everything that happened to me, positive even down to being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, some way Jim managed to turn it and, and make it about him and what how he had made it possible that that happened. It wasn't about that I just had a great fight with Gogarty. It was about what he was able to make happen that I was that I got on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And, and you know, at the time, so much was happening. I didn't know what to believe and what not to believe. So, you know, it was easy for him to keep me, to beat me down. So it was hard. It was hard. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, my self-esteem still, even today, is um, I'm still in the building stage. Really? It was all fake. I mean, the whole, um, the boxing persona of talking shit and, and all that, it was, maybe that's who I wanted to be, but that's not who I was. So when you were on things like David Letterman, did you think of it like as a double-edged sword? You know, this is going to be great fun It's it's to be on TV, but when I go home, he's just going to be even more jealous? Because it must have just been jealousy. Everything everything that I did, no matter what it was, um, it always he always was able to turn it around. You know, um, no matter how much fun you go out and have, and like, wow, this is so awesome, and and you know, meet this person, meet that person. A great story. I Shaquille O'Neal. You guys know Shaquille O'Neal, right? Basketball player. Um, so he lived in Orlando when when I lived in Orlando, and again, a mutual friend. But we were doing this. Uh, it's like a ride, a Ferris, uh, a carnival kind of ride. And um, I had already done it, but he came, Shaq came up and um, he's talking about you know coal miner's daughter. He's a big boxing fan and everything. So he asked me what I'd do it with him. And um, I was going to do it with him because it's Shaq. I mean, it's not like I was doing it with some guy from, you know, that's next door uh, that I think is really hitting on me or something like that. It wasn't like that. It was just two two athletes that knew each other and, and I, I, you know, whatever. So I was going to do it. And Jim actually left me there, left me, got in the car, drove off and left me. I did not do I did not do the ride with Shaq. But those were the kind of things that happened. I mean, it was like, oh, no matter what happened positive, it was always 80% of the time I was going to come home to some kind of bullshit from Jim. That must have been an awful way to live. It was, because in front of the cameras, you know, everybody thinks um, <laughs> I just had an easy and perfect uh, life. And um, behind the cameras, it was hell. I mean, it was hell. I, I, I lived in a box, as I tell people, you know, I lived in a box. And, and I knew how close to the edge to get. And sometimes I bumped the edge really hard, you know? Like, I want out, I want out. And uh, and it, it, didn't, it didn't work. I mean, it just wasn't, it was, you know, you, just, you beat down so much, it's not worth the fight anymore. And that's where I was. I was just tired of fighting. And your boxing career 
was at this stage obviously going from strength to strength. Um, we, we we won't go over every single fight you had. You had far too many to go into in depth in every single fight. But your next sort of big fight, if you like, was um, I think at your own admission the best performance that you've had against Lisa. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I even before uh, we were together as a, a couple. Um, I would always tell everybody that that was my most complete fight. Lisa's a big, strong girl, so I knew that I had to be smart and use my speed and box and move and, and not, I mean, just have to be in there for 10 rounds and, and just outbox over 10 rounds, be smart. And I also feel like like that was about the time I had maybe around 50 fights or something. So I, I felt like like now I'm, I was at the experience. I, got, I had just enough experience to kind of get it. You know, now I'm getting it. I, I can see how I can... I can slip out of the punch and encounter. I was I was just getting better, but I won the fight and then did not re-sign with Don King up on, I mean, for whatever reason. My contract ended with King. I don't know what happened between Jim and Don King, but I never, I didn't re-sign. And so it was really from that point on, my the fights were uh, sporadic, you know, nothing planned. It wasn't like fighting with King. You know, you're going to fight every three, at least once every three months and, yeah, I was dealing with a lot of shysters. You were still world champion though at this time, yeah? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, it, you know what? It, it didn't mean, it just, it didn't really mean the same thing. When it wasn't fighting on the big cards, it was just different. It was different for me. Then of course I fought Layla and Layla's too damn big, but I, I was, I was pretty sure I could beat her. Um, but she caught me with a great right hand. First punch she threw, I was done. And I told her recently, and then the last probably six months I talked to her, I was like, you know, Layla, you do know that you knocked me out with the first punch you threw, right? She said, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. And um, she said, I'm going to go back and take another look at it. All right, <laughs> thanks. You know, and then, of course, there was the Riker fight that was supposed to happen that didn't uh, for a million dollars. So that that one hurt me. And that, at that point, that's when I should have retired because uh, I was tired of boxing. Uh, I was tired of fighting the fight on the personal side. And then there was nothing left for me boxing because Lucia was the one that so many people had talked about wanting to see and everything else was just, it was really became a job and it was for a payday. And I had always said that I don't want to do boxing if it's a job. I won't just do it for a payday. I just want to step back a little bit because for some people listening, they won't know some of the, the, the backstory to some of this. So when you say Layla, this is, this is Layla Ali, Muhammad Ali's daughter. Um, that that you fought there, but did you not have to like, go in with rocks in your trousers just to make weight? Because she was about 15, uh, 15 pounds heavier than you, and a good, you know, about six seven inches taller than you. Well, yeah, she was a big girl. Um, I weighed in with full uh, military fatigues on, so I had I had stuff in my pockets. I um, yeah, I. I, I I weighed 147 when, truthfully, when I left my hotel room. But by the time you know I put everything on, I think it got me up to 160 or 162. <laughs> so we, you know, made the fight happen, and and it was a great, it was a great uh, business fight. You know, we we sold out uh, the the venue. We sold about a hundred thousand pay per view buys, which was great for. Females and even today, some of the championship male fights don't sell hundred thousand pay per views. So we did well. Um, it was just, it still hurts me because I took a knee and I stayed down, and that's so much not like me. I feel like I quit, and I well, I did quit, and I I have problems with it. I have problems with it. The size difference, though, when you when you watch it, the size difference is huge when you see it on the telly. Yeah. It, it, yeah, she's a big girl. I mean, I knew she I, clearly. I knew she was big. Um, I didn't really realize how big she was until we went to the press conference, and then, then like, wow. I mean, I had already signed the contract and everything. I had seen her, but until I actually stood beside of her, and and you know, then I can say, wow, yeah, she's a lot bigger than I am. But anyway, it was you know, it was a, it was it was a good fight, and I mean, it was the best I could do that day, and. She came out on on top. Was Ali ringside? Did he still go and watch the fights at that stage? He was there. He was there. Do you get a chance to talk to him, or is that not really? I had I had met him uh, at a car a car show like back in the 
mid nineties, 96 around there sometime. I hadn't met him before. I did you know, I, I, uh, my dad was there. My dad volunteered for Vietnam. My dad stood up for his country. Um, so there, there's, you know, I, I give Muhammad Ali, uh, I, respect for he stood up for what he believes in when it would have been easy for him not to and to take the money that I'm sure was crazy money being offered to him at that time. So I give him respect for that. But I also think that he had some very close fights that he got decisions. Uh, Kenny Norton twice. Um, yeah. He came over there and fought um, who knocked him down. Andrew Cooper. Andrew Cooper. Yes. Long count. Yeah, saved by the Glove got ripped, right? Was that the fight the glove got ripped? He put his thumb through it. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But yeah. So I mean, there's some questionable stuff. You're saying Ali was a lucky fighter, then, really, aren't you? No, (laughs) he was a great fighter, and he was a great. You know what? I'll say no. He was a great fighter, but was he was like to me? He was the first fighter that that understood marketing, right? And maybe even like that may have been like maybe it was the first athlete. Because that, you know, that really got it. Like, this is what we have to do. We have to market ourselves. And he became, um, at that time, he became bigger than boxing, really. Yeah. Just back, back to you then. You mentioned that Lucia Riker fight that, that didn't, you know, happen. Now, again, for anyone anyone listening that maybe doesn't know who she is, at that point, she was actually labeled the most dangerous woman in the world. Uh, and went on, I think, to star in, was it Million Dollar Baby, the Clint Eastwood film? She, it was her it was in that, wasn't she? Right, right. Um, now, she was allegedly injured. That's the reason it fell through. Is that right? I, as I say, she had a heart attack. And, you know, she had a heart attack because she just didn't have the heart to get in there with me. Yeah, she allegedly was injured, which, you know, until I die, I'll think that's bullshit. Yeah. I, it, she's, she's not like the most dangerous woman at any time in her life if you give her, um, you know, a nine millimeter or something. <laughs> Come on, man. She has she has no chin. She has no chin, and she has no heart. If you you know it, she I, I called her people after the fight was canceled and told them basically I would fight for free. Let's just make this fight happen. And and they never nothing was ever there was never one word of discussion of re upping that fight, doing a, a different any, anything. Never not one word from that promoter or any other promoter. Sounds like you want to go for her now. <laughs> Look, you know, we're both inducted into the um, International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2020. And Ron Borges, who was a famous boxing writer for the Boston Globe, uh, is writing a book, my book, now. And um, he has odds that, that it'll happen, the fight will happen, if ever the Hall of Fame gets to, you know, have the Hall of Fame induction. But I, I try to let it go. It's just, damn. A million dollars? You're trying to go, I can notice. <laughs> it would have been the biggest fight in women's boxing by a mile had it happened, though, because that, that was a that would have been a proper mega fight, yeah? For sure. Was it hard to get up for Holly Holm then? Because that was who you fought when, when Lucia fell through. So I remember sitting in the on the corner on the stool in the corner, um, around five round five, round six, something like that, and just thinking, what am I doing? Why am I here? BFE, you know, New Mexico, and 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 I'm supposed to be fighting for a million dollars in Las Vegas against Lucia Riker, and, and I'm fighting this tall southpaw that I didn't, I didn't even I didn't even have one day of southpaw sparring. She she didn't want to fight. I mean, all she did was run, run, run. I went and stood in the middle of the ring, and the referee <laughs> tells me I have to fight. I mean, what do you mean? I've chased this bitch for like five rounds. I'm tired. I'm not gonna fight. Let her come fight me. If you don't fight, then you're going to be disqualified. I'm like, I'm, I'm just don't want to, I don't want to chase her anymore. But I really didn't want to fight anymore. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Because I had trained so hard and I had put in all my effort into getting ready for Lucia. And um, when it didn't happen, I, I should have just walked away. Again, boxing, boxing life and, and personal life, your personal life would have really been starting to, to, to be miserable at that stage at, at what point you know it's well documented that you started taking cocaine to you know dull the pain of the way that Jim was treating you would, would that have started then Christy or was it a bit later or? it was a it was a after um Holly Holmes but it was it was before 
uh, Valerie Mafu. I don't remember when that fight was, but it was, I know it was before that fight. Yeah, I mean, I was coking out like crazy every day, 24-7. I'll be up for three or four days at a time. Uh, I just, I mean, I hated life. I, I was I was ready to die. I mean, I, I really, I didn't care anymore. Um, didn't matter. I mean, I was dead. You know, I'm living this f screwed up life that um, now the boxing's gone, basically. You know, I'm, I'm doing these small fights that really don't mean anything. So boxing's gone. Why am I still here? And then that's really to the point that I got. And that, and the fact that I walked through my house one night, you know, coked up probably like four or five o'clock in the morning. And I, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, wow, you look like an addict. I'm like, no, you are an addict. And I just, I wasn't able to like immediately quit like that at that point. But a few days, you know, within a few days I was, I was done and I was back in the gym and I told him I'm, I'm leaving. I'm done. I want a divorce. You can still train me. We can still play this pretense if you want and try to make, you know, a few more dollars and then you go your way. I'll go my way and let's be done. Of course, as I left that day uh, in November 2010, he said, if you leave me, I'll kill you. And I turned around and looked at him right in his eyes and said, do what you have to do, Jim. And I knew. I mean, when I left, I knew he would kill me. So um, I was ready. Maybe. I thought I was ready. You've admitted before how determined you are. You had to be so determined that night. Without me paraphrasing anything, from your point of view, you walk in the door. It's about half past five at night. What happens? Yeah, I, um, I told him that that I was going to the gym, but I had a massive headache and I just wanted to lay down for a little while. And the whole time that I'm trying to lay down, um, he's sharpening a knife, sharpening his knife. And he sharpens knives all the time, you know? So I really didn't think a lot about it. So he's sharpening this knife, but he's on the phone and he's, he's calling like my family members and stuff and telling them that, that I've left him for a woman, that I'm a bitch, that I'm a lesbian, that I'm this, I'm that. And, um, and so finally, I'm like, I've heard all I want to hear. And I, I get up, I put one shoe on, I'm going to go run. I'm like, in my mind, I'm going to go run until my headache stops. It's either going to explode, and that's how bad it hurt, uh, or or it's going to stop. So as I set up, he came in and he said, oh, I have something to show you. And I'm thinking, you know, look, we're getting back to the gym. I'm all about boxing. I'm, I'm thinking he has a boxing contract he, has, he wants to show me. So... He ends up, he has a, a knife he wanted to show me, and he, he sucked me with it. He he um he stabbed me three times under my arm, like under my side. And then the fourth one went through my breast. And one of those four, I don't know which one, punctured my lung. And uh, so, you know, I can hear the gurgling. I know, yeah, we got trouble here. And I, so I try to kick, kick him away from me and so I can get out. And when I kicked him, he cut my calf muscle almost completely from my leg. You know, we, we, we got into the floor and we were, I'm trying to get away. And he's beating my head into the, to the chest and, and pistol whipping me. But that's the point where the switch flipped. Because when this started, I didn't really care if I lived or died. But as he was beating my head against the chest, I said, you cannot kill me. And I meant it, like, you cannot, I don't care what you do to me, you're not gonna kill me. And he had stabbed his own hand when, or cut his own hand when he stabbed me. So he stopped for a minute and went to take care of his hand. And he would walk in and out of the room and I would beg him, you know, please don't let me die and get me help. And you go through all the ups and downs and emotions of trying to say the right thing that's gonna get him to help me. And then, but, but I finally realized he can't let me live because what am I going to say? I mean, yeah, who did this to me? I mean, is he, is he going to trust me that I'm going to say some somebody broke in and did it to me? Well, that wouldn't be smart on his part. And so I guess he feels like, finally, I'm not going to die fast enough. So he came and he, he stood at my feet with my own pink 9 millimeter, And I told him, you don't have the balls to shoot me. And he shot me. He missed my heart. He missed my heart by three inches. And, um, and you know, I guess I passed out. And he must have thought I was dead. Um, but I remember 
coming to and like looking through this the vent in my ceiling and it was like a direct line to god and and i just said please let me get out of here give me some way to get out of here and um i heard the shower water turn on and when i heard the shower water turn on i knew that's god telling me now's your time so i got up and i had tried to get up so many times before and like the blood would squirt out and it would scare me so i would lay back down but i got up this time i took the gun he had wiped off the gun and the knife and everything and laid it there but i picked up the gun why i don't know i picked up the gun and took it with me and and i get and i picked up like my car keys because i'm gonna you know me i'm crazy and arrogant ass i think i'm gonna drive myself to the hospital i've been shot i've been stabbed i'm cut up all over the place i'm bleeding my, my ear was detached from my head i get to the car it's the wrong car keys so i'm like you have a choice go back in there to get to try to find the right keys or just go to the the road and um and basically carjack someone so that's what i chose to do the first car went by me and i'm thinking how in the world can you just drive by me but then i also think here i am a bloody mess and with a nine millimeter in my hand who really <laughs> would stop and get me and so the next, guy pulls up, the next guy comes up and he's uh, my angel his name's rick cole and um he picked me up and and um I, I handed him the gun and i told him what happened and i said please don't let me die you know please don't let me die and then then I would apologize to him for bleeding all over his back seat. I recently saw him and, and we, we had a laugh about me, you know, keep telling him, I'm sorry, I'm bleeding all over your back seat. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't let me die, <laughs> but don't let me die. Um, so that's what happened, you know, he took me to the hospital, they got me stable, they life flighted me to a trauma hospital and God says, Christy, go out there and, and talk about domestic violence and, and help somebody else. So that's what I try to do. Now, he, he said it was all self-defense or something. Is that right? He said that we shot me and we stabbed me. Well, we couldn't do that because it's under my arm. There's no way in hell that I, from that angle, there's no way I could stab myself at that. And um, But he did not testify in the trial. Um, basically, he his defense was no defense. I mean, I thought that... He might would come with an insanity defense or uh, um, crime of passion or something like that. She's leaving. I mean, we came with nothing because in order to have any of those type of defenses, he would have to admit that he shot me. But I will say this. So I got recently, within a couple of years ago, probably, I got a message from somebody that had been in prison with them that told, uh, told me they wanted me to call them because Jim wanted them to give me a message. Of course, I didn't. I sent the message to the prosecutor. But he said in his message, he said, Jim told us all about how he shot you. So, I mean, there, there's no question. There was no question. They found him guilty in no time. And So he's still in jail. 25 years he got for attempted murder? 25 years, day for day. And he's he'll, so he'll be like 92 when, yeah. if, he, if he were to live the 25 years. And the good thing about Florida, uh, if you try to kill somebody with a firearm, a knife, or, you know, any, any weapon, it's, that's the minimum, 25 years, day for day. No time off for good behavior. He doesn't matter what he does or. Yeah, no parole, anything like that, no. He can't get out. Mm -mm. No, and he's he's gone through all of his um, appeals. So they've all been denied. Um, so, you know, I mean, I guess anything can happen, but I, I don't anticipate him getting out i hope not because if so he'll try to kill me now just to show how determined a person you are you got 100 stitches in your leg as well as all the other stitches you were told you might not walk again you were kept in hospital for seven days let out on the eighth day where did you go boxing gym <laughs> Boxing gym. I still had the bullet. I still had the bullet in my back. And when he shot me, I was laying on the floor. So the floor didn't let the bullet go all the way through. Where else was I going to be safe? The bullet still lodged in you then? It was then. And they had they had to cut it out for evidence. So sometime later in January, they sliced me. It was right there. You could feel it. I mean, it, really, the floor is why it didn't go through. Yeah. Yeah, I went to the gym. I went to the gym. And how many weeks you fought again, didn't you, after that? Yeah, I was actually scheduled to fight 
in um, February and I got my rib broken sparring, but I'm pretty sure it was the same rib. It was like the same area where the gunshot went through. So I'm thinking the rib was probably already cracked or broken, you know, maybe a little broken. And then the guy hit me and um, it really broke it in two. I, I couldn't, I couldn't really not breathe hardly. It, it was very painful, but I ended up fighting in June. I broke my hand in like nine places, they said. And when they put me to, in, to surgery, uh, to sleep for surgery, I had a stroke. So I'm like, okay, you know, God, I guess that means you really don't think I should box anymore. But I did. I wanted to come back and I wanted, I was determined I was going to get the 50th win. So I I scheduled a fight with Mia St. John and um, I, I lost. And when I lost to Mia, I, I took the, the ring announcer's mic and said, look, that's it. You know, I'm done. Because I, you know, I have zero respect for Mia really as a fighter and to lose to her was like, no, you know, you lose to her, you're done. And I was done. And you're a, you're a school teacher now, yeah? No, I'm doing boxing promotions. I, I'm promoting boxing and we, we have a fight almost every month this year. We've had a fight and um, doing some speaking for domestic violence awareness. Uh, we have also have Chrissy's Champs, which is my nonprofit that we, we have, we're setting up in boxing gyms. We're putting computers and things like that for, for kids to have the access to, to do homework or, you know, we're trying to get some tutors and mentors in different gyms all over the country. Different people are working, uh, joining up with me. So I'm staying busy. You know, we have a book coming out. I have the book coming out with Ron Borges. We have uh, Netflix is doing a documentary that will be released the third week of August. Major motion picture that's supposed to come, but we've been talking about it for a long time. We'll see. But I, I think we're on the right track with that, finally. The last time you and I spoke about the motion picture, actually, Amy Schumer was going to be playing the, the character, and obviously she's went on and had a baby and all the rest of it. Is she still in the frame, or is it going to be someone else, do you think? Yeah, I don't. I think Schumer's out. Um it was interesting though, because I got to hang out with her a little bit. She's a, you know, we're, we're good. We, yeah, we're both we're both those kind of can tell you, you know, go get screwed in like zero point zero seconds. <laughs> we'll tell you just like that, you know. But um, yeah, I think they'll find somebody else, maybe a little more athletic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, with Schumer, I never could figure out how anybody thought Schumer was gonna be me because she's funny. And like, I don't even have a good sense of humor. I don't, and, um, and, and and like all this crazy shit that's happened in my life, none of it's been very funny. But it was, Schumer was one to make that transition to do like something real. And, you know, something that wasn't just funny. Yeah, we'll see. Let's speak about something nicer then. How did you then reconnect with you? You fought Lisa Holwyn, obviously, years ago. How did you then reconnect? Because you now married her. Um, how, how did all that come about? Right. I, um, I was holding shows in Charlotte, North Carolina, hosting, you know, doing, promoting boxing events. And, um, she came, we had been talking on the phone, you know, I was, I was single and just kind of be bopping through life. And she says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to come to one of your shows. And I thought, Oh yeah, sure you will. And you know, we're, we're talking like every day on the phone. She, she came to the show and we're, I don't think we've left each other since. It's been pretty cool. It's good. She's great. She's uh, you know, all about support and um, encouraging me to to take smart risks. You know, to like like sometimes I get frustrated with the boxing promotions and and like how am I ever gonna get there? And it's you know, it's just not happening fast enough for me. And you know, she reminds me look, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Does she never say she should have won more than two rounds against you, yeah? Look, she wins every fight. I win one time, that's it. She, But she <laughs> wins every fight. And no, we try, I tried, trust me. That's a very touchy subject. So I try, I don't bring it up. And when other people do, I, I kind of try to walk out of the, 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 the area because <laughs> it's, a touch, it's a touchy subject. 
I know you're doing your own shows you're over there, but what about the current crop of, uh, of female boxers? You know, we've got a couple over here that, that I think are fairly decent, Katie Taylor, Savannah Marshall. You've got your own ones over there and, you know, Clarissa Shields. Um, what's your own... <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your own thoughts on women's boxing today? Um, I think women's boxing was much more uh, competitive in the 90s. I thought we had some really good fighters in the 90s. Yeah, I think um, Katie Taylor, I think, has really good, good, solid skills, good fundamentals. She's, uh, I think she's, she's probably the cream of the crop. Uh, she and, and um, Serrano from New York, um, to me, those are the best two. Clarissa Shields is um, lucky that she's fighting now and not in the nineties. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I think you know. Also, promoters are giving women's boxing a more of an opportunity now. Luda Bella, guys like that over here are, are putting women's fights together. Top rank, Bob Arum. They're they they have a few female fighters. I think Golden Boy maybe has a, a couple female fighters. So. We'll see. You know, it just takes uh, takes somebody to come along that has a a good style, but also a good story. You know, it's as athletes to stand aside from everybody else. You have to. You, it has to be the complete package. Usually, just being really good at your sports not good enough, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. In your prime, would you not have been scared of any of them, the current crop? No, come on, no. <laughs> These guys, these girls. No, I, I, I really think that they all are all very lucky that they're not. They weren't in the nineties. You know, they're 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 lucky and they're they're here fighting now um, and and getting better opportunities. They have the social media stuff, so they have a better, bigger platform. But yeah, no, we were better fighters back in the nineties. We're hungrier, you know. We were hungrier. Just as we we're talking, if you were to speak to Jim these days. What would you say to him? I would say to him, I'm glad you were never able to complete any task you started because you didn't kill me. You started it, but you didn't finish. Just like many other things that he started, uh, all kinds of projects that he started and he never was able to finish any. And I would bitch about it for two, you know 18 years I was married to him. But now looking back, it was that's... Um, that's his positive, that he wasn't able to finish the project. And what about, you're obviously a big campaigner for domestic abuse. What advice would you give to someone that maybe is in an abusive relationship? You can't stay. And um, usually the average time, the average is it, it takes women seven times of leaving to actually leave. You can't give them seven opportunities. And you can't... Um, you don't know when the day's going to be. I, I, I was in a different situation. But then sure. most people don't know the day that they're, 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 the trigger's going to flip and that person, and they're just going to lose total control. Um, and it starts out in most situations. It starts out emotional. It's control. It's mental. But it's going to end physically. Get out. Get out, and there's always someone there that will help you and can help you and wants to help you. Um, and it, it's hard to know who to trust and who to turn to, but you have to find somebody, whether it be at a, a church, uh, a domestic violence center, school, somewhere, somebody. You have to reach out to somebody. Can't fight it alone. And just in terms of the future for you, what? What does the future look like for the promotional company and Champs Camp and all the other bits and pieces you do? What are you what are you hoping is going to be coming up over the next few years for you, Christy? Well, I hope over the next few years we, I have a good uh, crop of young up-and-coming fighters uh, that I've signed with Christy Martin Promotions. So hopefully we're able to build those guys and, and, and get them positioned into fighting for titles and that the promotion as a whole grows to to being one of those uh, promoters you see on TV with Christie's Champs, which is so, so important to me, is that we just stay out there and, and keep hammering on the story. I mean, it might be the same story to me, 
I'm telling the same story over and over and over, but it's maybe it'll be the first time that somebody out there heard it, or maybe it'll be the first time that even if you've heard it a hundred times before, this is the time it's going to click. And then they're going to realize, Hey, I can't wait any longer. I can't, it's not going to get any better. I have to make the change now. And the final bit for me is just a, a big congratulations. You, you, you've been in the Nevada hall of fame. You've been in the Florida hall of fame. You're, it's the big one now, the, the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Should that have been last year and just COVID stopped it? It was uh, 2020. So, yeah, it should have been last year. But they've already canceled uh, this year as well. So I, I'm like, really? I, you know, yeah. They, so they're going to try to do it with three classes next year. And I just ask them, could I please have my ring? I want my ring now because – who knows? I can walk out here and, and get ran over by a truck and I'll never get to have worn my Hall of Fame ring from the International Boxing Hall of Fame. So, yeah. But he did. He said, no, I couldn't. <laughs> it gives you more time to get training for the fight. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we'll see. Well, congratulations on it anyway. Christy, this has been fascinating. Your story is unbelievable. It is a series on inspirational women. I don't think there can be any doubt that you're one of those. And everything that you campaign for now is absolutely amazing. If anyone listening takes one thing from it, it's, as you say, don't give people a, another chance to do something to you. Um, thanks so much for coming on and having a chat with us. Awesome. Thank you guys for spending your time with me. You've been listening to the Smokies and Wine podcast, sponsored by Clack and View Wealth Management working with you today to plan for your tomorrow.